Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. As you know, if you've been watching uh, basketball lately, the NBA is at a fevered pitch right now. The Eastern Conference looks like a collision course between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics, but if you don't want to count out the Milwaukee Bucks, that might be a decent bet to make that they come back from an 0-2 deficit and uh, eventually get to the finals or, or win a championship. Who knows? And also, miraculously, the NFL is uh, returning next week. So there'll be plenty to bet on. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Everybody, Bill Roden here. Welcome to another edition of Bill Roden on Sports. Uh, I'm here at a undisclosed, well, still undisclosed location, but in Manhattan, in Harlem, USA. Uh, but that's all you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, look, Wi-Fi looks good wherever you are. I know it's unusual, man. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's because uh, my birthday's tomorrow. And so right. maybe That's the, right. the uh, internet gods is like saying, let's give this boy a break. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but I know Jamal Murphy, my, my friend, co-host, holding it down in Brooklyn, USA. Murph, what's happening? What's up, Bill? I'm good. You know, can't complain. Uh, U.S. Open got, got underway today, so I, I was watching a little bit of Serena warming up. I don't know if they started, but you know, everything's good in Brooklyn. Yeah, well, we'll go ahead. I know um, you're very excited, as I am, with, yes. our, with our guest today. No doubt about it. Uh, we have a we have a tremendous guest on today. Really has been at the forefront of all this, uh, all these athlete protests uh, that we've really seen leading the way, and you know, leading everybody else, leading the country. Really, when you think about it, uh, we have Elizabeth Williams with the Atlanta Dream. She's been with the Atlanta Dream since 2016. She was Most Improved Player in 2016, All Star in 2017. Uh, the fourth overall pick by the Connecticut Sun in the 2015 draft. She's she went to Duke. You know, some of you may like that, some hey. of you may hate that. But exactly, <laughs> Duke, Duke from you know she was at, she she played at Duke. Of course, her brother is actually a standout freshman at Duke this year. That's interesting. Um, from Virginia Beach via England, and you know, like I said, uh, Elizabeth, you've been in the forefront of of all the the political protests going on in, in, in the WNBA um, that other all other leagues have pretty much copied. So we just want to say thank you for that and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to chat it up with you guys. So wait a minute. England, could you tell us that first? <laughs> tell, tell us. Well, tell us. It's, it's actually just that. So both my parents are Nigerian um, and my dad's a doctor. So after he finished his medical school in Nigeria, he studied he studied a little more in the UK. And so I just ended up being born there. And then uh, they came to the US once he finished 
his masters in the UK. So I was only there for a couple of years. I don't really remember much about it. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. As yeah. my, my daughter's fiance uh, is Nigerian, Nigerian American. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and um, so whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess we're part of the same family. Uh, but hey, 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 I know there's so much we want to ask you, uh, Elizabeth, but I, I do want to echo what um, Jamal has said that, I'm uh, so appreciative of what you are doing. I just think it's spectacular uh, what you're doing. And then when you when you look back, you know, let's let's go back to sort of your your roots in this. Like you were at Duke and all that. When did you uh, have, have you always been sort of an activist type of person? Have you evolved into an activist type of person? Just tell me the roots of your uh, your athletic activism. Yeah, if you uh, if you would have told me that I would be considered an athlete activist when I was in college, I probably would have laughed in your face because um, it's just not not necessarily uh, in my nature. But I think as I got into the W um, and I kind of saw these powerful female athletes, you know, protesting way back in 2016 when it was a lot more controversial. Um, just being a part of that type of group, I think I've just continued to grow in understanding what activism looks like in sports um, and understanding the Black Lives Matter movement and understanding what voter suppression looks like. So as I've just continued to learn these things, I think that's kind of how the activism has grown because I'm pretty low-key, pretty introverted, um, but this is something that's important. And I think that's why I've, I've grown to speak out more about it. Well, what so what was a match? I mean, what when did the what type of were you were you sort of like the typical what the stereotype of sort of the typical student athlete? I just want mm-hmm. the ball, go to school, yeah. my degree, yeah. don't want to rock the boat. What tipped the scale? What an event? Um, I think probably participating in my first protest right after uh, George Floyd's killing. That was like my first time really being out and. Like truly in a protest. I think when some of the stuff happened in 2016 with our league, with players wearing the Black Lives Matter shirts or nailing, um, I wasn't super involved in that. Um, and I think I was still kind of learning my, my place in like this activist role. But I think probably this year with all that was happening in our movement um, and then in negotiating for what uh, this bubble season was going to look like, um, and understanding how important social justice would be in that, I think that's that was kind of the tipping point for me. As I mentioned at the beginning, the WNBA playing such a pivotal role in all of this, and you guys have been doing this for you know years in terms of uh, you know keeping awareness out there, what's going on in our communities, mm-hmm. um, and now that you see the the NBA and other leagues, you know, doing their part also, is do you take pride in all of that? Like, do you recognize you know, that you, that the WNBA was kind of like the, you know, laid the groundwork for all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's what we've seen in a lot of, a lot of like civil rights movements where black women do a lot of the work, might not necessarily get the credit, which I mean, that's just how it is. But at the end of the day, like we're just here to do the work. And so whether it's talking about, you know, police brutality, talking about, um, voting rights or voter suppression. We've tried to do that from the beginning. Um, we've had, you know, players that players are really passionate about this stuff. I know we've had players from Chicago um, 
talking about violence in communities and we had our w wears orange campaign just bringing awareness um so we've just you know from the beginning tried to push that and i think um other leagues are able to see the organization that goes along with the activism so making sure that you're talking to these organizations that are on the ground in addition to protesting in addition to kneeling um and i think i i think we do take pride in that we we kind of laid the groundwork for what that looks like. Well, let's go back to, uh, we're not going to mention uh, this person down in Atlanta, the L word. We'll just call it the L word, right? <laughs> the L word. But that's really what kind of blew my mind. Uh, I said, whoa, that's like really strong. <laughs> when, you, when you said, you know, how did that evolve and what's sort of been the pushback? And I thought that was tremendous when, you, you took somebody who was a co-owner, which is called the L word, of your mm-hmm. own team, mm-hmm. <laughs> of your own team, and uh, were very offended, thought that this person was very disrespectful, and you basically said, cool, we're just going to support your opponent. Uh, what was the pushback? What is the pushback? And what impact has that had? Yeah, so that whole situation was tough because initially – as members of the dream, we didn't really know how to react, what to say, what to do. Uh, there were other players in the league that, you know, obviously made it very clear their feelings on it, but we were hesitant to come out and say something right away. And then when, after we had our zoom call with players and staff, um, we wanted to make sure that in addition to making a statement, basically, you know, supporting black lives matter, reminding people that, this is a movement and a statement of equality. Um, we wanted to have some type of action that went along with that. We didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, but then eventually in conversations with, I'm on the executive committee of our union and we always, our group chat's always going back and forth. We just, you know, have ideas uh, just going back and forth. And, and obviously our situation came up and we said, you know, what, what could our action item be and what's a way that the whole league could support us. And then Sue Bird said, you know, she does have the Senate seat. What about, you know, supporting Raphael Warnock? And so and then it headed into obviously vetting Reverend Warnock, having conversations with him, um, making sure that he supports what our league supports, you know, a majority black league, um, you know, him understanding that. And so uh, then the idea of, of supporting him and wearing the t-shirts came about. So on our first ESPN game, in addition to, all the Atlanta players wearing vote Warnock shirts, the entire league wore the vote vote Warnock shirts. Um, And we just thought it was a good way to kind of level up and saying, you know, in addition to saying Black Lives Matter, we also want people creating policies that reflect what that means. And that was just, that was how it came about. What's the pushback? Uh, I saw some uh, statement. What's the pushback been from Dan and Chill? Now, uh, again, uh, I just thought that was such a brilliant, a brilliant move. Uh, what has been the pushback internally? Just A, on you. And yeah, what's the pushback? Now? Um, I mean, our owner just doubled down on the statements that she'd made before because the intention around her statements was to create this kind of political wave, you know, um, and so we're like, well, we're not going to be used as pawns, so we're just going to kind of level up and think past this. And so we as players basically put the burden on the league as far as what they want to do with the ownership. 
because at the end of the day, like we're just playing, like we, we're not the ones that get the owners and vet the owners. So we kind of push that onto the league. Um, and so now we kind of wait, but we made our move and, uh, haven't heard anything directly from her or her staff or whatever, but that was kind of as expected anyway. Um, so we just continue to move forward with Reverend Warnock. Along with that, that type of protest, you know, with the t-shirts, I mean, you guys have been so innovative and, and, and so hard hitting, um, in -hmm. terms of, you know, what you do say, what, you know, what, what messages are, you know, on the t-shirts you had the Jake, uh, the Jacob Blake t-shirts with the seven bullets, bullet holes in the back of the t-shirt, you know, where do you, like, how do you guys come up with this, with with this perfect, (laughs) this perfect, uh, pro- protests, like you know, like you said, is it a group text? Uh, you know, how much how, how much thought is behind it? Yeah, it's kind of a mixture. I think the well, the Washington Mystics are the ones who wore the Jacob Blake shirts with the seven bullet holes, and they obviously had complete support of of their staff and their ownership. Um, and ultimately, this league has been player led, so anything that we've decided to do has been led and driven by the players. Um, even our decision to not play, you know, that day that the Bucks first initially decided not to, it was a conversation. I think a lot of times people don't realize there's a lot of conversations that go into this. And uh, we were the first game, we were playing the Mystics that day at seven. And we we're actually out on the court talking to each other about what does not playing look like? What does the future look like? What what are the ramifications of this? But actually having that conversation and hearing all the sides, that's I think what's allowed us to make um, to be very strategic about what we've done as far as as it pertains to social justice. Were, were you surprised? Uh, you know, again, you know, Jamal, I talked about. That. I've been covering this stuff. You know, like. You know, these issues probably since like for pay since like 1973, you know, mm-hmm. and have been involved in stuff as a journalist writing mm-hmm. about this stuff and all that. Having said all that, when I got the news that that the Bucks were not going to play, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah. I always thought it would be like maybe at the final four, you know, mm-hmm. when teams would not play before tip off. Your, your reaction when you, um, found out that they weren't going to play. Did you know it in advance? And if you didn't, what, what, what was your, what, what did you, what did you say? Yeah, I, we didn't know in advance. I mean, at, at the point we were at the point where we were already at the arena, right? So we got to the arena, um, kind of texts were flowing in, tweets were flowing in about the bucks. So we were supposed to play at seven. So we were there around five. So you can imagine like initially some people were shooting um, but the Mystics came a little later and they said like, Hey, we talked about this on the bus. Like, uh, is it possible that we kind of support our NBA brothers and do this? And, and the stakes are a little different for us. Right. Um, we don't have this, the platform that, that the guys have. And a lot of our strength is, is in being seen. And we're fortunate, um, in this type of season where, almost every single game has been televised on national television where that's not always the case. And so for us, a lot of our strength in our social justice has been because we've been out there and people can see us. So a lot of the talk about continuing to play that night was, Hey, we've been able to get a lot done by playing, but I think ultimately mentally 
and kind of emotionally people weren't ready to play and it felt appropriate to to not play and then use our day of our day without games to kind of refocus our energy and recommit to social justice and kind of have a mental break because we've just been constantly playing every other day fighting for social justice like it's a lot it's heavy like this is not easy stuff you know and so ultimately that was that was how we came down to to making that decision how um you know uh i I have an ownership question i guess you know in all these the, the struggles Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you think about what's the end game, and the reality is that there is no end game. This is existential. This mm-hmm. is probably going to be. This is never going to be over. Right. You know, it's never going to be over. You know, my role at, at, at now is basically, uh, it's like I look at it as a, as an eternal relay race. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. you run your leg and then you give it to the next generation, force them to take it. Don't pass it off. So, no, I'm not passing to you. Take it. You mm-hmm. take it. You run as hard as you could run, then you hand it down to the next generation, you know, the next uh, Elizabeth, whoever that's going to be, the next generation. And just, to me, you know, it's like this is existential. You know, this is never going to be over. This is going to be ongoing. So I I guess having said that, what's the next step? You know, the season is going to be over. We got an election Mm -hmm. coming up in November. Then whatever happens, we got... What what are the next steps uh, for you personally, and as athletes, as a as a group? What is sort of the next levels of this? Uh, I think the biggest thing is keeping the pressure on. So whether it is even after the season, continuing to talk and tweet and post about voting, continuing to do those things about Breonna Taylor, continuing to say her name. I think a lot of what makes it difficult is that we stop talking about these things, right? Like we'll have these periods of, yeah, Black Lives Matter, woo, and then everyone goes back to the regular life. I think the challenge now is being able to keep the pressure on, being able to make sure people are registered to vote and that their registrations aren't being purged, like continuing to talk about the things that we're talking about and not letting um, not letting there be a lull in, in what we're doing. Along the same lines, I mean, it's been amazing to see how sports have, have have really been the leader in terms of, you know, more so than the government, you know, Mm -hmm. and the government has followed the, the people have followed. So, you know, not just, you know, with racial justice, but also COVID-19, you guys Mm -hmm. are in safe bubbles. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the rest of us, which, you know, (laughs) we're we're out here looking for bubbles that that we can, you know, so and then moving for, forward, like you guys, you know, you guys were really a leader in terms of other sports. And now sports in general seems to be leading mm-hmm. the rest of the country. Um, have you noticed that? And is that like an added responsibility or added added pride? Where do we take from here knowing that, that you have such a big influence? Yeah, I think um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with football season. Because I think we really need to make sure, even at the college level, um, that players understand their their power. And I think if the NFL um, can kind of get on board with what we're saying and what we're doing, I think that's really powerful because I think our country runs on football. And so if we can 
if we can get NFL players and NFL owners and, and eventually like corporate sponsors, that leads and bleeds into the political changes that a lot of us want to see. So I think moving forward in that aspect, hopefully these fall sports can take from what basketball has been doing. Um, the NHL, NWSL, like all these current sports are doing, it can kind of move forward with it. Let me ask you about that, uh, uh, Elizabeth, because that's, um, I think you just hit the, the nail on the head. What I think is that the, the players have almost gone as far as they can go. You mm-hmm. now need the, the multi-billionaires mm-hmm. who run the leagues, who own the teams, uh, who have connections mm-hmm. to all the other power people, you know, whether it's the police, uh, benevolent, the unions, Mm-hmm. Other owners, you know, who meet in the Hamptons and, you know, they have these discussions, which I've never been in, but there's a whole nother level mm-hmm. of multi-billionaire discussions and you use your leverage. What do you think about that? I just think at this point, because of everything you said, you're really going to need the active participation of the multi-billionaires mm-hmm. to do more than just say, OK, here's two million for this, you know, throw mm-hmm. money at it. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think if we want to talk about, like, first of all, just diversity and inclusion, um, you can start looking at the owners and saying, okay, who are you hiring? Who is, you know, running your teams? Who are your GMs, your CEOs? Um, I think that's one way that you can start to see change, like a multi-level change. and then I think they have the opportunity to to kind of do the same in relation to the corporate sponsors that they work with and making sure that the businesses that they work with are, are doing those same things. And then a lot of them, when you get to that level, you have, you have politicians in your ear. And so making sure that there are policy changes that reflect what players want to see and making sure that, you know, different, that the cities that, that if there's a team in Detroit, right, you still want Detroit to make sure it has the proper resources for education and proper making sure policing looks how it's supposed to look. Um, And so they have the influence to do that in their cities. And so players can do so much with their foundations and stuff like that. But when it comes to resource allocation and, and influencing cities to look how how we want them to look, I think the owners have have a big part in that. Have you had those discussions with them? I mean, across the board. Clearly, one of your owners clearly probably not on board with that. But <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but um, have you have you begun to? Have, who's you? You were. I thought you guys were very smart. On part of your board of directors, you got a politician. Stacey Abrams is Stacey on our Abrams. board of advocates. Yeah. 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 How 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 um how has that been? In other words, having somebody who's actually a strategist mm-hmm. uh, to be in those rooms because they say, well, you know, that shit sounds good, but that ain't gonna work. <laughs> right? Know? Yeah, how, yeah. How? It's like she she's the one who's talked and explained voter suppression really well because she's like, man, like it's great. Like I know you want people to get out and vote, but it's sometimes it's not so simple. Sometimes there are people that have their registrations purged and they have no idea, like. There's that there's that multi-layered area of voting is is just like the clearest one I, I can give an example to. 
where a lot of people don't realize that. And so having somebody like her, our board of advocates that we can have phone calls with um, to kind of explain these things. And that's what we can get out to fans. That's what we can talk about on our platforms. Uh, that's that's been really cool. And so we're just going to continue to try to, to use that. Um, and it, it obviously helped us in, in figuring out what supporting Warnock would look like. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been really helpful and we're just going to continue to, to have people like that. You, you mentioned uh, before that, that the WNBA and NBA, you know, different situations in terms of um, where you guys feel you were effective. You're saying that the, as the WNBA, you felt like you had to, you know, your platform comes from playing mm-hmm. um, with, with that in mind. How did you feel when the NBA decided to come back? Do you feel like that was the right move for them as well? Yeah, that, this was tough too because when we had we actually had a conversation with the entire with all the players um, that evening. So we we had a vigil um, to honor everything, honor Jacob Blake, Brianna Taylor, everybody. And then we also had a players only meeting, um, and we one thing we emphasized was like we're we're not the NBA. So obviously it made sense to support what they did, but ultimately their decision moving forward might not be ours. And so there are things that we obviously look to them for, whether it's like certain union matters, stuff like that. And there are other things where they're their own entity. And so in their decision to play or not to play, like it was tough. I mean, I think, I think it would have been tough for us to continue to play if they chose not to play. Um, even if it did make more sense to us, but I think ultimately we were kind of at the point where we still would have had to come up with whatever decision we felt was best for us. Right. Right. Hey, let's probably let you go. I mean, and and again, uh, our guest is Elizabeth Williams, just a phenomenal, uh, just a phenomenal human being and a a great, (laughs) a great leader, uh, Atlanta dream, uh, who actually helped trigger, uh, probably maybe one of the most unique protests that I've seen in team sports. I mean, I was trying to go through my Rolodex, even mm-hmm. when Milwaukee plays. When have I seen this before? Have I ever seen this before? And you hate to say, you know, as a journalist, this is the first time because then you'll get a right, right, right. Well, no, actually, <laughs> no. Um, but uh, I think this is, I think we're on safe ground. To say this is pretty unique. Um, yeah. A, what do your parents feel? You know, uh, how mm-hmm. do your parents feel about this, about uh, you leading this stuff? How have they been support? I'm sure they've been support at some point, but how do they feel about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think they were surprised too. They obviously know my personality. I usually stay out of trouble. I like keep my head down, kind of do my work. Uh, but they're surprised, but also happy. I mean, they're proud of me for kind of for finding my voice and and leading this league and. Uh, Obviously, like if they see me on CNN or something, they they get really excited. Like, oh, like I can't believe this is you, but we're so <laughs> proud. And and ultimately, growing up, I mean, the biggest thing they emphasize is treating people fairly and equally. So, um, that's what I'm going out and supporting and talking about. And so, I it, they're proud that I'm continuing to talk about something that's so important and reminding people just be a decent human. Um, and so I think they're really proud about that. And then last for me, until you come back, you, you got to come back in part two <laughs> to this. Um, what, what's, it been, what's, what's life in the bubble been like 
for you emotionally. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess the camaraderie is probably great. But what's 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 life in the bubble? In, in the in the wobble. Yeah, in the wobble. Yeah, the wobble. Uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I was actually just talking to some of my teammates about. Obviously, we want to go home, but we don't want to go back to like not knowing that people if they have COVID or not, right? Like we're kind of in this safe space where like, yes, we're supposed to have our mask on, but like when we're outside, like it feels very comfortable and kind of like normal. Um, so in that sense, like I'm very appreciative of how safe we felt from a COVID standpoint. Um, I mean, playing every other day is tough physically, especially uh, we're just not used to that. And that's been an adjustment. It is also a little weird seeing every single team in one place all the time. <laughs> like uh, a lot of us have bikes cause the campus is really big. So like you're biking and you like wave, see somebody from Seattle wave, see somebody from Phoenix. Like it's just, it's, it's weird. <laughs> um, but I think the league has done a good job in just trying to make us feel as comfortable as possible. Like last night we had like this massive like seafood fest, basically like they had music and it was like the Bayou and King cake and all this stuff. So the leagues just try to make it feel as comfortable as possible, but it is a little weird. Like we're all in one place um, playing basketball. And so we've just tried to take advantage of it. I mean, but does that make it hard to hate your opponent? Uh, does it, I mean, what does it do to, let's just talk about competition. Cause you're supposed to have at least some degree of resentment or, yeah. or something at, put to your opponent. But does this make that hard to kind of like hate people? Um, I don't know because I mean, Tarasi said it the other game because the referees also stay in the hotel. So she was like yelling at them saying like, oh, I'll see you in the lobby later. Like the competition <laughs> is still there. So yeah. <laughs> once you're on the lobby. court, it's, it's different. Yeah, like I'll see you in the lobby. So no, the competition <laughs> is is definitely still there. Once we hit the court, it's it's different. Like She was saying that in jest, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We think, we think so. We think yeah, so. we think so. <laughs> Maybe um, I don't know with Tarasi, who knows? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I do think, I mean, even if you watch the games, like they're so competitive. I mean, once, once you're between those lines, you could see it with the NBA guys, even with no crowd. Like once you're between those lines, it's different, you know? Uh, again, I, 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 I lied. I said this last question, but I, I, I'm so, <laughs> I'm intrigued by the competition because, you know, most of us, whatever you play, when you when you start playing sports, there were never crowds. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the stuff you were doing was in practice, try to impress, try to make the team, mm-hmm. impress the coach, mm-hmm. uh, in the playground. You know, there were never crowds. The crowds almost became part of the show business, and right, sometimes right. you change your personality to play to the crowd and that. So I'm just wondering, does this get back to the to real almost purity of competition? You know, like you know, you'd be in mm-hmm. the playground all day. Mm-hmm, you don't mm-hmm. go to one court or the other. It's like the same court, the same stuff. But I'm wondering, mm-hmm. does this get back to kind of the purity of just competition where it's about the competition? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it's kind of like a glorified pickup game, you know? Uh, there's, there's, I mean, I don't want to say there's nobody watching because it's on TV, but there there's nobody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's nobody there like you could go and high five or whatever. Like, it's just your, it's like you, your team, like you're riding for your team. Like that's all you got. Um, So it it does make like a unique experience from a competition standpoint. Do do you miss the crowds though? 
Yeah, there's there are definitely moments where I'm like, dang, we, I wish we had some crowd noise or something <laughs> to, to hype us up. Right. But yeah, especially when you're down too, because usually that's when the crowd will pick up, and then you're, you you kind of get that energy back. It's hard when it's just your bench. It's like, all right, come on, because you're like, dang, anybody else? <laughs> but then you don't have to worry about. We talked to Zach Zarver, the official, and we said, well, you also have to get booed. You know, yeah, like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true, very true. Yeah, and as our guest has been, Elizabeth Williams of the Atlanta Dream, uh, graciously, uh, what, what does it look like? What are the next, you know, how, how are you feeling about uh, the competition? Speaking of competition, how are you feeling uh, about uh, where you are, the competition, uh, you know, where you guys are headed? Yeah, we're, uh, we're in a little rough spot right now. Um, we technically still have a chance at playoffs. We play tonight. Um, uh, it, we have to win today to get into playoffs because they're a team that's right ahead of us. Um, but, I, I mean, I do feel good. I feel like our team is, is unfortunate because we had so many new players through free agency and trades, and it was unfortunate that we didn't really get a true training camp and a true full season just because – from a chemistry standpoint, this is like the worst type of season to try to find chemistry because uh, <laughs> we don't have a lot of practice time either because, again, we're playing so often. Um, but we're actually slowly starting to find that, and I think um, that's why I'm excited for tonight's game and, I, and the games moving forward because even though it's a little late, we still we still technically have a chance, um, and we've been playing better. So, Well, best of luck, Elizabeth Williams. Boot, uh, boot the L word out of office. You know. <laughs> Right. I'll, I'll say it again. You guys are really, uh, you know, showing to be a group of, you know, one of the biggest groups of leaders we have in the country. So if change is made, I think people will look back at the athletes themselves as being the spearhead of it. And then moving on in the future in terms of uh, if if we can move on to a different administration, there's no doubt that the WNBA and NBA have played would have played a huge role in that. So I think, um, you know, I don't think we've ever seen athletes uh, take this big of a role in the, in mm-hmm. the political system as they are right now. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Thank but you. Thank you. Thank you very much for everything you're done and about to do. And uh, good luck tonight. And uh, look to having you back on, seriously, because I think there's a whole other, there's a lot more to talk about. But thank you so much. Thank really you. appreciate thank, you and what me. you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you. With Elizabeth Williams from the Atlanta Dream. Um, really great, man. Really out, outstanding. Uh, welcome back. Rose Pod, Bill Road No Sports. I uh, just heard from the great Elizabeth Williams of the Atlanta Dream here with uh, Jamal Murphy. Hey, 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 hey Jamal, let's talk. Um, I, I guess we cannot have a conversation without mentioning uh, the great John Thompson. Right. Who passed away uh, Sunday night. And, I don't know, man. I'm supposed to be writing something for the undefeated. I mean, I'm going to write something for the undefeated, but it's still a little surreal because, uh, you know, Coach Thompson, man, is, you know, you know that, you know, you know, our lives have a beginning, middle, and end, but still just some people you think about just larger than life, you think they're never going to die, <laughs> you right. know. And uh, for some reason, you know, Coach Thompson is just one of those, those people. Um just such a big presence. What do you what? What's your uh, what were your thoughts about about Thompson? I don't know how much interaction you have with him, but just your thoughts about him. You cover a lot of college hoops. Uh, just your thoughts about Coach Thompson. Oh, I mean, you know, an absolute giant, 
uh, on the court and off the court. Um, I probably only interacted with him, you know, once or twice, uh, you know, short, short uh, exchanges, you know, in the time I've covered college basketball, he was always there at the Big East tournament. But I mean, I mean, he had an influence on me since I was a little kid. You know, when I first started watching basketball, one of the first games I remember watching was the Villanova uh, Georgetown game when Villanova upset them. And, uh, you know, I was, I was instantly a Georgetown fan and I'm a Georgetown fan to this day and they haven't even been good. And I don't know how long, you know, and <laughs> right. I, I still root for them because right. of, because of John Thompson on the court, the ferociousness, uh, you know, defensive intimidation, uh, the unapologetically black. I think he's like the epitome of, you know, himself being unapologetically black, creating a team that was unapologetically black players. Remember, it was it was always funny. Like, you know, I've heard people say, oh, we thought we used to think Georgetown was an HBCU. Right, right. While I never I never thought that, but it was always it was cra- like they never had any white players on the team. I mean, all right. all teams had at least like one or two white guys on the team. Georgetown right. had like no white guys. Right. And, then when you, and then when they did have a white guy, it was like the weirdest thing ever to see a white right. guy. Uh, right. you know, the you guy was, yeah, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I mean, you know, he spoke out on all these issues that are going on now. John Thompson was fighting for 40 years ago, you know, for the rest, you know, you know, throughout his entire life. So he really epitomizes what's going on right now. Um, you know, I, I mean, for you, what was it like covering him? Because, you know, I was looking at him on television for the most part as a fan. But what was it like covering? Yeah. Him? Well, you know, I mean, to, to some level, it was a little... Uh, intimidating in a way. One of my best friends, uh, Reggie Ballard, his father was a huge, uh, a hu- you know, Reggie's from D.C. Mm-hmm. And his dad uh, was a real big figure, Kaya. His dad was a real big figure in the D.C. recreation thing. So Coach Thompson knew Kaya. He knew Reggie's dad. And so when I told you, yeah, me and Reggie are great friends, he said, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, well, Kaya. I remember saying, hey, Kaya, <laughs> you know. So I kind of like, you know, he had to swore it. And he said, okay, wait a minute, let me right, put right. it down. You know, I won't behead you. But um, he was, a, he was a, a great mentor in terms of just being a, you know, a black head coach, uh, really high profile, but who would, I learned a lot just about, we could be black men talk about these issues, but I'm still a coach. You're a journalist. You know, never, you know, don't you ever forget it? Because I ain't forgetting it. There's always that line there, but we can, we'd be on conference calls. Uh, uh, John Cheney, George Ravel, Nolan Richardson, uh, John, we'd be on these conference calls talking about how are we going to get more black head coaches? Or how are we going to get more black writers, editors, you know? Right. So at one level, and then we started this tradition, me, Wilbon, Mike Wilbon, the late Brian Burwell. Uh, we'd be having, we'd meet the coffee shop at the Final Four. And we'd talk to like three or four in the morning about stuff, you know. And then we started every Final Four, we'd add more writers, more coaches. Till at the peak of it, we may have a big room, man. It'd be like, like 30, 40 writers and young coaches in it. You know, uh, and it became something that everybody looked forward to. And then, um, but, you know, John and I, you know, one or two disagreements <laughs> right. about about stuff. And, you know, 
I always say our birth. We you know, another thing we shared the same birthday. Our birthdays were September second. Wow. And so uh, every September second, I would try to somehow send him a note or whatever. And then once I tried to, I was trying to get in touch with Michael Graham. Right. You know, Michael Graham, freshman, and he was somehow he was like staying on campus on the Georgetown campus. So of course, being a journalist, I found out where he was, and I slid a note under his door. And so uh, when I called John to say, "Hey, happy birthday!" Yeah, but you know, I expect more out of you to try to get in touch with Michael Grant. You know, and, <laughs> right, 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 right. But again, it was like, "Hey, John," you know, yeah, but I'm still a journalist. <laughs> right. And he said, "Yeah, and I'm still a coach. This is my program." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, I'm a journalist." And you know, it, it kind of was like always reminded, "Yeah, well, this is my program. This is my thing." I said, well, I'm a journalist. He said, yeah, right. okay. So you go to church, you go to your church, I go to mine. But I think there was always a mutual respect that at the at the bottom line, we had blackness. We were black men. He was an older, you know, he was he was an elder who I respected, uh, and I'm a journalist, but I'm I'm and I'm black first. I'm right. a black man first, not a journalist first. I'm a black man, but at the same time, I got a job to do, you right. know, and you got a thing to protect. So there was always that. I think that, and I think maybe young journalists have to know there's always a line there. We could work together, we could respect each other, but there's always kind of like a line there. But I think the override thing was we are black people and we're working to move black people forward, move the ball forward. So, um, yeah, that's sort of my recollection, but uh, just really so, I just want to, you know, uh, reach out to any of his, you know, family have, may be listening or right. those people admired him that I admired him too. And uh, I loved him, you know, as, as somebody who really had a great impact on my professional, my professional life, just there are a lot of stories, but one is uh, we were in New Orleans getting ready, we had this meeting. Yeah, you know, at the final four, we always had our meetings. And so we were trying to be in one restaurant, but we just had too many people. So we had to improvise and move to another place. And they were going to let us in, but there were still chairs set up and tables. And we had to move the table. So everybody was just sitting, looking at it. So I, I remember I just stepped forward. I started moving moving the tables, you know. And everybody followed. I remember Tom just said something like, that boy has leadership skills. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he said it like that, but, uh -huh. you know, I, you know, you hear that and you say, yeah, yeah, I guess I do have leadership skills, you know? Right, right. And I'm like in my thirties, you know? Right. But it, it, well, every time I think back on that, I think back on that's kind of what a coach does. You know, that, or that's what an adult in a, in a position of authority does when you recognize somebody having certain types of skills, you let them know, no matter how you let them know. Even it's like, kind of like, yeah, boy, I had leadership. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and motivation, motivational uh, skills. Right, right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, he will be, he, 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 made, uh, he made an impact. And uh, as you always say, I don't expect everybody I coach to be loving me, but I just hope to have a... Uh, um, you know, I hope to have an impact on people. So, right, yeah, man, glad glad I got to know him. Glad I was in his orbit. 
is universal. And the lesson for all of us is, will we have that kind of impact on younger people? You know, it's kind of the name of the game. So what else you got, man? I, I guess we, whatever else you got, we can save it. <laughs> yeah, we, we can save it. We, we, can, we can end it there, uh, you know, with the great, great coach, John Thompson. Um, you know, he has his, uh, you know, probably his most famous players is actually, you know, still coaching Georgetown, Patrick Ewing. Patrick um, Ewing, yeah. Just, you know, that shows you, yeah. you know, part of his legacy. And let me just ask you that. I mean, because his, his whole career was about, um, you know, improving the lives of, of black people um, and, and particularly in his profession. And we still have problems there. And I'm sure he, he would have been the first to tell you that. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Where, like what what is in that part of it? Has, you know, we, did, we didn't really make, I'm sure we didn't make the progress to this point that he would have liked in, in his profession. You know? Well, he was part of the Black Coach Association, part of the founding of it. And um, again, as we were talking with, with uh, Elizabeth Williams, this is all part of the eternal relay that is never right. Right. over. You, know, you do as much as you can do, um, and then you hand it off, and you hope that the young coaches or you know, whatever white folks you coach, although he didn't coach men, but, you know, <laughs> the, white, <laughs> but, you know the, 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 the white people who you make contact with who are going to be in a position of power and control do the right thing. Right. And that they hire black folks, they hire black men and women, you know, that they try to diversify as much as, 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 much as you can do. Right. You know. So. And anybody who, who has become a coach, uh, you know, who is a coach now, you know, was inspired in some way by John Thompson. I remember talking, you know, I did a, a piece for the undefeated on the, on the Big East coaches, you know, 50% of the Big East coaches being African-American. And when you talk to those coaches, they all, we're quick to bring up John Thompson, even even guys who you think might have been too young to really remember, but they all bring up John Thompson. Uh, Stu Jackson, who works for the for the Big East, you know, constantly brought up uh, uh, John Thompson as as you know so, someone they look at in terms of you know creating diversity and and how important it is and being able to speak their minds. Um, so I mean, there's no question he had a, a huge impact. We just, you know, like you said, it's a relay race and we got we got some more laps to run. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, man, it's been a great show. Uh, thanks again uh, to uh, Elizabeth Williams of the Atlanta Dream. Great uh, human being, great interview. Yes. Before we sign off, of course, subscribe to the program, to, to the podcast, rate, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc. Uh, leave any message you want we'll talk about it on air and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BrosPod and on Facebook at Bill Roden on Sports alright see everybody next week God bless stay safe
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.